Welcome everyone to another fantastic episode of Here to Tim Pot 2. Now, I know that every time we start one of these episodes, I'll say roll theme music or something will happen. Um, you obviously heard the little intro that we've done, which all sounds very Beyongy and Sharon made that. Um, so any, any, any feedback, point that Sharon's way. And um, <laughs> What what we are getting though, aren't we, Sharon? Next week. Um, well, firstly, let me say everybody welcome to Sharon. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you. I'm glad that Sharon spoke then, because most of this goes out on audio. So waving is not going to help in terms of an <laughs> audio podcast. But it's, it's only been, it's only been like ten episodes, so. Um, we're getting there. Um, maybe we'll talk about Go Ape in terms of Sharon's ability to take on new information, but um, we'll, 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 we'll skip over that. So, yes, what next week we are getting extremely fancy podcasting equipment. Now, when I say fancy, I mean, I think it's really fancy, to be honest, um, because we're getting cameras, lighting, computers microphones a mixing desk mm -hmm. and the ability to have callings oh yeah yeah we've got full-on uh different sounds and all sorts haven't we well i'm gonna get um i forgot the name of it so don't worry there will be an episode on our new equipment um that that it's got a little lighting like like a, like a 1990s dj imagine so this is me going oh, and here we go let's what accent was that <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do a 90s DJ, you know, when they go, on let's where? Who's that? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to get anyway, you know, when they go and we're gonna spin them one more time. I can't do it anyway. Anyway, we're gonna be like a 90s DJ, so but I can press the buttons and make um trump noises and stuff like that. So uh and I've got control of that. So if Sharon's saying something that we don't agree with, um listeners, I can just go. <laughs> you wish you had control of that. <laughs> um, but this episode is all about the climate change conference of the parties, which is also known as COP26. Mm. So we wanted to do an episode on sustainability uh, for a number of reasons. Um, one, because that's core in terms of our business offering so for those of you who don't know here to tim pot 2 is our podcast and when i say our podcast that's mkl innovation so we're a digital fm business what we what we do um, not to bore everyone to death with it but we go into organizations and we optimize it through technology so saving loads of energy saving loads of money and we've talked about all sorts of things on this podcast from running to cars to books to films it just made sense with the conference going on to Give our two pence, so to speak, on sustainability. Now, I would say we're not experts. We know some stuff. Um, so some... One of us knows more than the other. Wow. <laughs> so, so <laughs> listeners, Mark has got a master's in sustainability from Cambridge. I'm so sorry, Mark... from, from, from where? From Cambridge University. So, mm. so Mark is a bit more of an expert than I am, let's put it that way. Um, but yes, sustainability is really at the core of what we do. And a lot of our customers really care about it. And that is something that attracts customers to us. And when we build the 
the tech and the dashboards, a lot of that is centered around the green targets that that uh, companies have, that which are often quite ambitious. So it is something that from a customer expect, of course, I'm going to get out that in there. That is that is something that customers really care about. And we produce dashboards which show how companies are reducing their carbon. So that is a key bit. But also, what's our spirit animal, Mark? It's the mighty bumblebee. It is, yeah, which is a huge symbol of sustainability and one of the reasons why we picked it, amongst other reasons. But, yeah, that fits in very nicely into this. Well, we, we the, the bee is fantastic for technology. So uh, when we chose the bee as our spirit animal, we use it on our branding as well. But the reason why we chose the bee was we always found in those early days when we were talking to people and businesses and anybody that would listen to us really that – when it came to explaining IoT and more so the sensors side of it, and um, people would, who were from not technical backgrounds, which is the vast majority of our customers when we speak to them, because you're not necessarily selling to technical people, you're selling to commercial people. They might, they've got some understanding of it, but not the actual nuances of how it, how it works. Um, so the way to, we, we found to describe it was to explain it like a bee. So... The bee will go from the hive or um, the hub or whatever we decide to call it, um, depending on which client it's going into. And that bee will go off as a sensor and collect all that lovely pollen data, bring it back to the hive, make some sense of it, and then produce wonderful lava. But in our case, it's not lava. It's wonderful dashboards and reports and things. I mean, I was... Do you mean nectar or do you mean lava? Bees produce lavas. Do they? Well, they don't lay eggs. Do they lay eggs? What do bees do? Bees (laughs) bees produce lava. They do. All right. I was thinking of like... And nectar as well. And honey. Yeah. Yeah. And and they do that other thing as well that bees are well known for. Creating... I mean, obviously, you can see that I don't work in our marketing department. So... uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll I'll leave that one there. Yes, but Sharon was so kind as to say that some of us, darling, have been to Cambridge University and got a master's degree in sustainability. I mean, I I really enjoyed um, that course. Uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. I would highly recommend anybody listening to this from across the world actually um, to go and do that course. And within this podcast, when we're talking about sustainability, we're going to bounce around all over the place but we will keep it on point in terms of sustainability so my my journey with sustainability started uh, um, a a long time ago i was a project manager a program manager asked to look after different aspects of a sustainability program within an organization that i worked in at the time found it really interesting and did a little bit of research um wanted to learn more um because i think when you find something quite interesting you want to you want to really immerse yourself in that field um and why wouldn't you then go and try to find the best course in the world to do this in? Um, and that's when I came across uh, the University of Cambridge. Now, Cambridge do various different qualifications within uh, sustainability. So they've got, let me explain, uh, they've got executive education. They've got, they can do online courses. They've got um, one day courses, three day courses, six months courses. But they've got the postgraduate study, which is the master's in sustainability and that is i think it took me two and a half years three years to do that very intense course um, as you would imagine from 
Cambridge, what I really did enjoy, not so much at the time, but now looking back that I've done it, is they don't lower their standards for part-time students. So I had a job at the same time as, as studying for the course. And I remember speaking to a lady who was quite a senior lady in Shell, the oil company, and she did, she was on cohort four and we were cohort six, which is back in 2015. And we were cohort six. And she I said to her at the time, you know, what was it like? Did you enjoy it? Was it good? Blah, blah, blah. And she went, I would rather give birth to a child again than go through that course. Because, yes, it opened my eyes and it was wonderful and fantastic. But in regards to its toughness of actually getting it done and meeting the deadlines and taking the information in, it's not just the information that you're given on a course like that. It's your peer group that you're with. Mm -hmm. So when we we when we attended that we were, I say we me um, when I attended that, I think I was one of four or five um, Brits on the course, and there was about sixty people. Everybody else was all over the from all over the world, which is one of the main reasons why the course is fantastic because you get to meet people you just wouldn't meet um people from tonga and, and all these sorts of different places you just you just wouldn't meet these people down the weather spoons in leeds why would you um but when you're meeting these people and you're talking about the challenges that they have in their world you very much think wow um we've actually not got it that bad in the uk mm -hmm. but some people are really struggling and sustainability for them is not just a corporate buzzword that someone will have on a csr report somewhere or signing up to one or a couple of the sustainable development goals and saying look at us doing our bit for them it's life or death it's yeah. their village is going to flood they're they're going to be able to feed the kids or, or they're not and that was real a real humbling moment to hear it from actual real people rather than a politician or in a very fancy csr brochure mm. I mean, you worked in the airline industry for a long time, Sharon. I'm sure that, I mean, airlines are, are you know, extremely polluting industry. I can imagine that um, you've seen loads of things in terms of sustainability. But I know that wasn't your, your, your focus area when you were in the airline industry. But when you were working in it, did you, did you feel that the, the business took it seriously? Did you feel that it was something they really wanted to do? Or did you feel like it was something they were doing because consumers and legislation is pushing them that way i'd say a bit of both really um and having gone to cranfield um both union flying lessons it, i love seeing the the kind of the technological um advances being made there like the new types of fuel um the way that they're setting up their new um, headquarters there to test out the new innovations, which a lot of that is from sustainable viewpoint for aviation. Um, there was a lot of talk about how we cut waste, um, how do we reduce the amount of load in an aircraft, which obviously then uses up more fuel, um, lighter seating, all that kind of stuff, which over time does really reduce the, the carbon output. So yeah, it was very high on the agenda. And yes, passengers are very interested in that. Um, so yeah, I'd say I'd say it was both. It was kind of push and a pull inside the aviation industry. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we we say customers or passengers in this case are interested in it, but 
you know you you argue would you would you pay more for your product for it to be sustainable and what what I what I think where we've lost the debate in terms of sustainability unfortunately is the science is well known now there will be people that will be watching this and they will be adamant that the planet naturally heats and cools and of course it does but the science is there, equivocal science to show that since the Industrial Revolution, man-made pollution has significantly increased the temperature of the planet. As I, don't, I, don't, I don't care who's watching this and doesn't believe that. It is true. And if you don't believe it, then please go away and do some more research. Or indeed, go on the Masters at Cambridge, because those guys um, very much know what they're talking about. And uh, uh, that really opened my eyes to some of the challenges I've got. But where I, where I hate... That where the debate has fallen down is 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 almost in the science itself that it's fallen down. So COP26 is going on at the moment. And if you're listening to this back um, after the fact, then hopefully we've come to some really fantastic arrangements and it's not just a, a talking seminar. Hopefully it's not just a talking mm-hmm. seminar. Um, but naturally all the media jump on this so they'll jump on it and they'll have they'll be doing little reports so you know this is where the uk is going this is what we should be doing this is what we could do and i remember watching when i was getting ready in the morning bbc breakfast i've got nothing wrong with the bbc i'm not i'm not really a political person but it was just what was on at the time and they had a reporter in a typical house so a typical three-bedroom house typical family not rich not poor just sort of middle of the road family um Sort of two cars, uh, kids, you know, two kids, just a normal family. Um, and they were talking to the mother about recycling and they were getting a little lad on camera, you know, to take stuff out of the normal bin and put it into the recycling bin, all that cute stuff. And you go, oh, bless him, you know, he's doing his part and he feels really good. But then in walked this environmental expert. And for those that are not watching this and can hear it, I'm doing the air quotes, environmental expert. And this is where the science really doesn't match where the rubber meets the road. So this expert came in, walked around the house, chatting to the mother. What heating have you got here? Well, it's gas, it's gas central heating. You really want to think about ripping that out and putting electric in. Okay. Okay. Can we have a look in the fridge? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go have a look in the fridge. So she's looking in the fridge. I'm noticing cheese. I can see some milk. There's some there's some meat in there. And then she starts talking about methane from animals and deforestation, which is all real. Deforestation um, in regards to uh, clearing that room for, for, for cattle. You might want to think about going vegetarian or even vegan. Okay. What have you got on the driveway? just two cars i think one of them was a Vauxhall insignia and the other one was like a mondeo or whatever whatever it was diesel cars um oh you might want to change those to electric and i'm watching this and i'm going right i know what you are saying mrs expert is correct technically is correct but this for me is where it really doesn't work for the average consumer mm-hmm. you can't come in finger wagging and saying Rip all your central heating system out. And by the way, put electric in. I know you might like your chicken nuggets and all that lot, mate, little man who's seven years old. But how about you eat this instead? I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being vegan, but you can't really force people to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. And also those two cars on the drive, why don't you change it for a Vauxhall Leaf or a Tesla? It's just never going to happen. It's just never going to happen because 
everybody's got their their as I would say their bullshit to deal with. They want to play their part, and I want to play my part. You want to play your part, Sharon. But don't finger wag and tell me that I'm doing something wrong when the mechanisms around me to help me to do something right are not necessarily there. Mm -hmm. So did you see recently that there was a there was a uh, an initiative? Um, I think it was to change boilers. And you change these boilers out. Um, I can't remember what the name of the boilers were. I think it was um, a highly efficient or a, a hydrogen boiler or something like that. So families can you know go for the grant, take out their boilers and put one of these super fancy sustainable boilers in fantastic piece of technology take the technology in itself it is it is brilliant very very low emissions if not if not no emissions if i'm thinking of the right um, thing that the boiler is but it's a five grand boiler and the cost of what a traditional boiler gas boiler is about three grand but okay i can get a grant for two and a half grand so I can pay two and a half grand for that boiler. Okay, great. So I'm 500 quid up because I don't have to pay five grand for that boiler. But that that bursary that the government are given is such a small amount that if you and I, Sharon, arguably in the middle of the road sort of people, you know, we're not rich, not poor, mm. wanted to go and get it, we wouldn't get the grant. So we'd then have to go, well, I'll pay five grand for a boiler instead of three. Now that for me is you'd have to be quite wealthy to be able to spend an additional two grand on the boiler because you wanted to do the right thing. You show me any family that could potentially do that who wasn't well off. It well, just wouldn't happen. It's not just the payment either. It's the disruption. So we need a new boiler um, and ripping out um, a boiler in a, in a household, all the painting, pipework, everything you've got to do on top of that. So you've got to make it easy for people to be able to adopt this and as you say put the infrastructure and the support systems around around it i do like it when um companies make it easier to do the kind of the green stuff like like when you order your sainsbury's and there's um the different slots for deliveries and some of them are green slots and some of them are normal slots and there's some of them are slightly cheaper but um you can see which ones are green so you can go okay well for half an hour i'll move it to a green slot I like stuff mm. like that where it's not mm. disruptive, but you can you can do your bit, um, mm. and that's what we need to see more of. Well, that, and that's the key thing, isn't it? That it's frustrating, but it's also exciting at the same time because those organisations that get it um, and make it easy for people to make that switch will will win this argument, will win this debate. But finger wagging and uh, telling people that they're, they're doing the wrong thing when they you know human beings want to do the right thing we do mm -hmm. but if, if there's not the mechanisms in place to help them and this is where the government really does need to step in and support um, i mean I've, I've been having a look um this afternoon at the government's net zero strategy um, uh, please google it if, you, if, if you'd like to it's um on hm government website it's a big blue document that says on the front of it net zero build back greener now um if you're a loser like me, you will have gone through quite a lot of that report and um, it will say loads of cool things and there'll be loads of ambitious strategies in there and there'll be some very beautiful graphs and a nice word from uh, our, our prime minister. But that's great and writing a document is fantastic, but we need to see the spending and the infrastructure in place to help people make the change. Take, for example, cars. So I believe that the government has announced, I think it's by 2030, was it 2030, that they want they were no longer going to sell um, petrol cars 
2050, I believe, uh, petrol cars within the UK, which is a big, ambitious target, a really big, ambitious target. But if I was to go and get a Tesla tomorrow, my wife, for example, she's driving a one of those Mercedes EQ things. I don't know what it's called. A 100% electric car. Now, that's great for, for her because she'll drive it home, park it on the drive, plug it in, and then in the morning, she'll drop Lucas off at school and then go to work and charge it at work. Fantastic. But that I'd say that round trip is probably 20, 25 miles most. I don't think she's been... Well, she's never been to a petrol station since she's had it because it's not going to go anywhere. Um, but for me, I do... Oh, God, I don't know how many miles. Constantly up and down um, the, the motorway. Yeah, thousands and thousands of miles. And I'd have range anxiety with um, a car. And even that, even then, I know, I know, I know, and I've seen the TikToks, and I've, please nobody try to moan too much at me about it, but I've seen the TikToks of people driving to a welcome break. You plug your Tesla in on a fast charger. You get a fast charge, which is around about you know, 25 to 40 minutes, depending on how much you want to top it up. And they're watching Netflix or going to get a coffee and all that stuff, which is which is great. And and that is that that looks great, doesn't it? And you can play the computer games and you can have your kids sat in your lap and the steering wheel controls the game. Wow. Why wouldn't you do that? But vast majority of people, and I would say I'm one of these people. When I go to the services, I want to drive to the petrol station. I want to stick a load of fuel in my car. I want to go in and pay. And if it's pay at the pump, even better. Yeah. And then I'm straight back on the road and to my destination. That's, that stops probably took me all in all 10 minutes, if that, depending mm. on how busy it is. That That is where the technology really needs to catch up because it is it is still inconvenient having to plug your car in. It is. And it, as you say, if your wife, if she's got that at home and then at work, that's great. But that's not that doesn't happen in very many places to be able to just plug in like that. I borrowed um, a Nissan Leaf probably about... I don't know, seven years ago um, from a company I was working with to try it out and tell some of my colleagues what I thought of the electric side. And, mm. yeah, it, I mean, it was fairly fast, quite nippy. It was different to what I was driving. But I had to really plan ahead. Um, and over the weekend, I remember I was uh, visiting Ikea with my child, picking up loads of stuff. Where we could park was nowhere near where I needed to be for picking up um, all the boxes and stuff. And it was an absolute nightmare trying to get stuff. Um, and I just thought, mm, until the infrastructure is better, we're just not in a in a place. And, and yes, we're getting that way. But there's definitely still some barriers to adoption on this. Yeah. There's a little way the, to go. The anxiety is a big one, isn't it? I, I, again, because we're used to it, we're spoiled, you know, for, for mm -hmm. God knows how long we've had petrol or diesel or yeah. whatever it might be to put in our vehicles and it's a case of you know i would say most people watching this i guarantee you will know roughly how much fuel is in your car you might say i've probably got about a quarter of a tank or whatever it might be um even if i had an electric car and i could look on my phone and say i can you know on the app on my on a tesla i can say i've got x amount of range i don't know why but i'd still feel anxious I don't, I, if someone said to me, right, Mark, you've got to drive to Inverness tonight to meet a client tomorrow in the car that I've got now, which is just a normal petrol car, that in terms of my anxiety level, that would be the last thing on my list probably would be getting fuel. It just would. I won't even think about it. I'd just, 
I'd probably go to the Sainsbury's around the corner where I am now, fill up it, pay your pump because I don't want to talk to anyone, and then set off. And I probably can make it to Inverness from, from Leeds on a full tank. So I don't have to worry about it until I get there. But I don't know why if I was in an electric car, I'd be thinking, well, what if there's a road closure? What if there's a delay? What if it's like on the M1 when something really bad happens and then you see it closed for eight or nine hours? Uh, you know, if I run out of electricity, I can't just go and top it up. I can't just go get something and stick it in. What What do I do then? And I think for me, I think it's probably going to be a generational thing. So the younger people watching this and listening to this um, who have got electric cars or getting electric cars or are soon to be driving or even my seven-year-old, and by the time he rolls around to be able to get into a car in another 10 years, he might only ever drive an electric car. So that anxiety that we have might not be there for him because it's just the way. Yeah, and I, I, talking about driving to Scotland, I was I was thinking about this on the way back. I recently had to do a, a drive to Scotland. And on the way back, I had to fill my car up twice. Um, and that's like... 85 90 pounds um for my car and i did think how much cheaper would this have been if it was electric how often would i have had to stop what difference would it have made um a lot probably in terms of the, the money out of your pocket yeah but yeah, you are going to pay more for the car though yeah but then how long would i have had to stop in between where would i've been able to do it as you say it's that actual that and i know you can get maps can't you where you electric charging maps where you go and you pick mm. and you know book places but yeah as you say it's just different it's it's going to be a mindset shift for us to, to do that um, i mean I, I i would i would have a tesla tomorrow but i wouldn't have it as um my main main car. main car i'd have it as um if i was rich enough i'd have it as a toy to play with one because i'd i remember um i went into i was lucky enough to go into um uh one of the when the tesla came out it was a p100d thing um and it had the um is it lunacy or ludicrous mode um ludicrous, yeah yeah where you put it on it goes like a starship and um, and i have never experienced power like that it was just instantaneous talk and off mm -hmm. it went and it sounded like a roller coaster now i'm old-fashioned as you are as well sharon when it comes to cars so a car with that amount of power i want it to whiz pop bang i want to hear the burbling <laughs> wow. of the yeah i want to smell the petrol i want to do all that stuff and who knows, maybe in 20 years' time, we might get to a point where the Teslas of the future, or when Ford or anybody else gets their act together, um, or BMW or whatever that might, might be, um, to, to take on the mighty Tesla, they might do synthesized sound. Uh, they might do, I don't know, I mean, I mean for God's sake, I had a, a 7 Series BMW on test a long time ago, and that came, believe it or not, came with smell cartridges. So you can put in smells into the car and it will pump out fresh grass. So it will make the car smell like fresh grass. And as we know, as we just spoke about before on other podcast episodes, go go away and have a look at the, uh, have a listen to the cars one, listeners, um, was um, BMW synthesized the sound through yeah. the, um, the speakers. Anyway, so what's to say that they can't? synthesize you know in a higher quality think of the technology of the future maybe 10 15 years down the line the sounds of the engine and the exhaust backfiring burbling the rs4 drop a little bit of petrol in the engine manifold blah, 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 blah. you get that lovely burble mm -hmm. sound and then synthesize petrol the smell you know who knows what they could do but 
I mean, again, I'm th- I'm thinking that of a 40 year old man now. So if I'm 40 now, by the time that happens, unfortunately, I'll have had my time where I'll go. Oh, I remember back in the day when this was real, and you could go buy a barrel of petrol for Threepenny down the local <laughs> co-op. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, we don't have Threepennies now, but and Lucas, my seven year old, who might be 20. 27 at the time might go chill out granddad yeah fossil fuel was so ages ago it's now it's now just this so that that that, there's a generational shift here and let me just finish that sort of like analogy off so in in the weekend i went into leeds city center um, where i live and because cop 26 is going on there were quite a, a lot of um marches through Leeds City Centre. I mean, you, you couldn't get a car through the city centre because there were there were loads of people marching. It must be, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people marching through the city centre because of climate change. And I'm 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 stood and I'm watching. I mean, I'm I'm massive. I love the environment. I I think what we are doing to the environment is we are absolutely destroying it, um, and we need to do something different. Um, either now or the future generations are going to do it for us and look back at us and, and, and wag their fingers and so they should. But I'm watching this march come through the city centre and there's there's all sorts of demographics in there. You've got young, old, kids, you know, people who look like they're, they're probably students, people who look like the business people, everything in between. And I mentioned to one of them, I said, oh, I, I know why you're doing this. I can see the banners, but why are you doing this? Um, and after being screamed at that the world is burning, which which really wasn't helpful, um, I know they're passionate, um, but that didn't really help the the, the cause. Um, they spoke very um, very calmly. It was people protest about they wanted to see actual change from COP twenty. Yes, because if you remember, the, the I mean, the Queen, God bless her, um, she was overheard, wasn't she? A recent event before COP twenty six. I mean, cameras and microphones these days are just fantastic. So anybody listening to this, just be careful what you say out in public because. Someone can pick it up, and if you're a position of power or a well-known individual, more than likely or not, they will pick it up. But the Queen was overheard by saying um, it needs to go beyond talk into action, and then ultimately Prince Charles and took her line and used it because why wouldn't he? When mother said it, I'm good. I mean, that was a terrible impression of Prince Charles. Um, and then you had David Attenborough saying the same thing. I mean, David Attenborough, the granddad of the nation, um, what a fantastic guy he is. And again, if you haven't seen anything of that, listeners, viewers, go back and look at David Attenborough's talk. It was it was absolutely brilliant. But the, 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 these protesters were saying that they want to see something real. And, and that, for me, is where we're, we're sort of on a nice head jack now, aren't we? We've, we've spoken so much about the climate. I think, this, as we said, the science is... is, is completely um, equivocal the science is the science but now we need the politicians to finally and hopefully wake up and 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 do what they're supposed to have done and put plans policies procedures legislation in in place to help people like you and me do something about it Hmm. yeah totally agree and it's interesting and I, i know a lot less than you do but when i was looking at going cop 26 okay so there's been 26 of these what's kind of happened between 26 and cop 27 what change can we expect to to, to see here 
And um, yeah, I was running around one of the lakes and there was uh, at the weekend and there was a few protesters there as well, like children and on their bikes. And I thought, well, this is really far reaching, more than I've ever seen before. It's like this year, it's it's been much more kind of accessible. Um, maybe, it's, you know, maybe it's me that the first time I've really noticed it as much as this. But uh, yeah, I think there's a real call for action now to go, OK, enough chat. Um, let's really see what you're going to do about it. What was yeah. interesting for me was this this 1.5 degrees that I keep hearing about and how it's we've got to keep it below that because over that, that's that's huge in kind of the impact to the planet. It's a point of no return is that. Um, I think if I remember back to my days at Cambridge, um, I think that, that they have various thresholds and scenarios that they would run. Yeah. And either degrees either side, you can either salvage the planet or not that the planet is going to you know, explode, but the the living conditions that most of us currently enjoy and also the crops that are grown in these living conditions will be fundamentally different and 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 that's the thing so it's 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 very naive to think of climate change as it just being hotter mm. now it, it it does get warmer of course it gets warmer but you need to think of climate change as, as weather change you've got you can have it a lot colder as a result of climate change you can have um, floods rain tornadoes etc etc because climate yeah. it's not just about the, the, the yeah exactly the planet getting hotter it is about the, the changing environment that you are in depending on where you are in the world and because we live in such a connected world we need to think about me sat in Leeds now enjoying a coffee where are those coffee beans grown you know, if I'm having some chocolate, where are those cocoa beans grown? Mm. Because if something happens in that part of the world that disrupts their production, that's going to impact me. I mean, arguably, it's not life or death if you don't get more. Well, some people it is if you don't get your coffee. Um, your chocolate. But, well, exactly. But but in terms of it is life and death for those people when it comes to their farms. So they, they're selling those crops to the world market. If they can't then produce those world crops, then what happens to them? Where do they go? What do they do? How do they create a living? And you're going to see, you'll see more and more urban farms. You'll see more and more factory farms where things are grown inside um, to protect them. And, and in some ways, that's a good thing. But it's almost putting a sticking plaster over the wider problem that we've got um, with the environment. But where, where we found, as in us as a company, where we found some real success in cutting through all the science and the noise and the protesting and the politicians banging their chest and everybody saying that they're going to do summer and then go, you know, I'm going to go and save the planet, but I'll jump on my private jet and then fly this and do that. I mean, I mean, we saw that, didn't we, at the start, people mm -hmm. coming in on their private jets. I, I'm a little bit struggle with that one because I, I don't really expect the, the prime minister of France to jump on Ryanair. I mean, what do they expect him to do? I mean, I know that Joe Biden comes over from America with all his fanfare, but I mean, come on, he's the president of the United States. Yes, of course, he's got a big carbon footprint when he's coming, but with a swipe of a pen, he could eradicate that and more. We just hope that he does that, hopefully. Um, but just getting back on point, in terms of what we found some real success with with people we talked to and cutting through the noise and, and, and the crap on sustainability and, and understanding what it actually means to them, is by getting them to understand what their impact is so we've had some very interesting meetings over the past couple of weeks and months with some very big institutions in the in the UK, both commercial, um, private institutions and um, government institutions. And what we found is 
there is a lot to be said around getting the basics right. So what do we call getting the basics right, Sharon? The brilliant basics. Brilliant basics. And the reason why we call brilliant basics brilliant basics is no one likes to call anything basic. Why are you so basic when I'm extra? (laughs) You don't want to call anything basic. But brilliant basics for us is starting by getting people to understand what their impact is. And I don't mean, you know, doing time and motion studies to see how many times you put your unwashed um, pot noodle tin in the or pot noodle wrapping in the bin, you know, and all that stuff, or, or peanut butter that you haven't cleaned out and all that. Like, none of that stuff. It's around your energy and your carbon. And think about this from a commercial point of view. So let's say you are a organization. Let's say you've got multiple buildings and you've got, let's say you're a landlord. You know, let's, let's, let's make it even more complicated here. Why not? Let's say you're a landlord. And let's say you've got tenants and these tenants are companies and everybody knows that with COP26 and with ESG um, initiatives, environment, social governance um, initiatives and targets that organizations set that they have to do something with their buildings. Why wouldn't you? It's a big footprint and it's a good place to start. So I'm the landlord and Sharon is a tenant. Sharon is a big company and Sharon goes to me, right, Mark? I need to do something with ESG here because I'm getting a lot of pressure from my employees and various other factors externally and externally to do something about it. Now, I have got a big footprint within one of your buildings. Maybe I'm renting out an entire building. Mm. Maybe she's renting out an entire building from me. And Sharon's saying, well, you now need to do something about this and help me because you're the landlord. I'm happy to support you, but now you need to do something about it. And the landlord will go, uh, right, okay. Okay, challenge accepted. Now I can um, I, I can help you with that. Now what the landlord will have is they will have various different suppliers to them. They'll have facilities management companies. They'll have people for doing specific equipment. They'll have everything in between security, cleaning, all sorts. Now they will go to market and they will try to find someone to help them in this. And this is where we come into the 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 equation because it's it's like going into imagine going into a argument between a couple. And the man and the woman uh, are screaming at each other. And you're the person that comes in and goes, whoa, yay, 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 yay. Relax. This is how we're going to do this. And how you do it is by getting your basics right. And what I mean by basics, it's by showing them exactly how much energy they're using, how much carbon they're emitting, but more importantly, once that energy comes into their building, how that then gets distributed across their building and their wider network if they've got portfolios of buildings. And when you say that to clients, and we've tested this theory out many, many, many times in live fire exercises, you will see a light bulb moment for them and go, oh, is that it? Is that all I have to do? Well, no, that's not what you, that's not just what you have to do, but that is where you start. So start by knowing what you're doing and then we can then start to reduce because it's a little bit like a a bigger macro example of that that family that I gave as an analogy at the start and the BBC reporter and the environmental expert going into it. Um, Imagine that scenario here. So what she should have said to the family is, well, let's understand what your impact is. So what you, you know, where you're spending most of your money on your energy bill, maybe it's on the dry cleaner, maybe it's on this or maybe it's on that, well, wherever it might be, 
okay, now we know that. Let's change some habits here. Mm. Now, it's difficult to change human behavior, but it's not impossible. Um, but once you start to show people how much things cost, I mean, if I did that to my mom and dad, I mean, my mom and dad are what, nudging mid-60s. So when I tell them, in the Northern as well, so when I tell them how much something costs, are you ready? What? It costs, what? I mean, you cost what? Right, Mark, I tell you what, right, I'm not paying this now for that. I'm going to do it. Turn it off. Turn it all off. That's that's my dad. So he'll turn everything off, which is not recommended because you're going to put everybody in darkness. But when you show them what's going on and then you show them where it goes, that is a light bulb moment. But this is where it works really well for us, Sharon, isn't it? Because Sharon's got a saying, and I'll say the saying, and then I'll get Sharon to explain it for us. And this is how, this is how I think we start to understand what our version of cop 26 is within our organization so what is our mini 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 conference and how can we do it and and sharon's saying is humanizing technology so when we put this technology in and when we help people monitor and alert and alarm and report of what they're doing that's not where it just starts and stops it's where we start to help them to understand what they can focus on and then Sharon, do you want to explain to people then if I if so if I if, if in that landlord situation and I put in a load of technology and they're going right now what how do, how do we humanize it for them how do we get them to actually buy into it and actually do something that's going to reduce their footprint mm, and and buying is is a key word there getting someone to have the buy in and to do that once you visualize once they're able to 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 see how much data and um, sorry, how much carbon and energy they are, they are using, you can then help them to reduce it because people are quite naturally competitive. If they can see actually the amount of carbon that I've got is here, I know I've got ambitious green targets, I know I've got to report back to my boss, actually this is where we are now as a baseline, how do we bring that down? You start seeing them going, hmm, okay, I can now get invested. So with the way that we do it is we don't just go, okay, carbon, um, you know, your you carbon output is this in a in a metric. We turn it into something that they can compute. So, so how many trees have been saved since you started this particular project? Or how does your um, energy output change into the amount of miles that have been driven on the on the road so that they can get behind it? And the way that we also do it is to go, okay, so this building's output is this one. This building's output is this. So if you ranked these these three, for instance, you can see this one's a bit higher. Why is that? Is that the infrastructure or is that the changes and the habits um, and behaviours of those people that actually live and work in those buildings? And once you start kind of getting under the skin of going, OK, not only can I visualise it, I can understand it, which means I can change it. And that's then when you actually see the power and the action. And that I think that's kind of a bit of a running theme through the whole of this podcast, seeing it, understanding it and being aware of it. Great. That's what COP26 is about. But that's what the call out is for now. Where's the action? And that's mm. what we do. We, we help people understand and see where they're at so they can then take action and start driving those carbon targets and green targets down and start seeing actually, yeah, we are making an impact on the environment. We're behind the sustainability thing. And this is what we've actually done. This is a tangible output of what we've done in our building um, or across the estate. And, and that for me is, is a killer line, isn't it? Where we are a action orientated business. So if you take anything from this podcast, it is start your sustainability journey by 
understanding how much energy you are consuming, how much carbon you are emitting, and how and where that energy then goes across your building or your estate. Once you know that, you can do targeted action rather than scattergun approach, fancy brochures, people trying to get engaged but not getting engaged because they don't know what they're doing. They're running around like headless chickens. Mm. Target it and make it action-orientated. And you just watch not only your team engage with it, but also what happens to your energy bills. You save a ton of cash and you take a load of carbon out of the environment. And for me, isn't that the whole point of COP26? And that's our little micro version of doing that. So please, 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 if you could take anything, start by monitoring what you are doing and then see where that takes you. Yeah, you always say making the invisible visible, don't you? I I do like how that is supposed to be my line, but I always forget it. (laughs) Um, we we were doing some filming a couple of days ago and um, the tagline we were trying to end it on was was that and I just completely forgot it so yes by monitoring and alerting and reporting you are turning the invisible visible and I think Sharon on that note we will end it there thank you very much for listening everyone I hope you're well I hope your sustainability journey is begun if it's not begun get it going And also, if you need any help or any support with anything, just reach out and we're happy to have a chat. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, everyone. Bye.